Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. On this episode of The Dose, Mary Fox. There's this assumption that everybody knows that they're supposed to do that when really we've trained an entire generation of people to ask, to wait for permission, not so much to ask for permission. So how do we encourage, and this is a lot of what we're working on, which is, did you ask? Did you speak up? Did you communicate? Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to. Hey, welcome to The Dose, a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations, highlighting those individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity, bold action, and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times. It's my hope that you take something away from each and every one of these conversations, apply it to your own life, as we're all intentionally attempting to become the best we can possibly be, being drawn towards our purpose and calling, committing to a life of service, making this place better than we found it, and living true lives of consequence. My Today's guest certainly fits that bill. It was fun to talk with Mary Fox. She's the CEO and co-founder of Marlowe, which is a leadership consulting and coaching agency in San Francisco. I came across her on LinkedIn. We crossed paths and found out that she's a Kansas native, went to K-State University, and that she was also thinking about joining the Marine Corps at one time. So I thought it would be fun to connect with her in that aspect, learn a little bit more about her journey, how she became a CEO and an entrepreneur and a startup in San Francisco. Now she went down the leadership rabbit hole. We talk a lot about communication in this episode, particularly for those at every level of the organization and influence, how a lot of times people on the front lines don't realize how much influence they have. So we talk about that. And that's what I got out of this conversation, that we're all way more influential than we give ourselves credit for. You've heard me talk about it on this show many times before. Mary really gets it. I appreciate how Marlowe is looking at it in a whole brand new way. She's all wanting to give people access to one-on-one coaching, to highly curated resources, activities, taking the best parts of executive coaching and making it more accessible to the managers and team members who are looking to level up. It seems like a lot of times most people think that, that it's not available to them. Well, Marlowe wants to change that perspective. So take a listen of what she has to say about that. And go check them out. Uh, the company is Marlowe at getmarlow.com. All right, let's get on with this great conversation with Mary Fox here on The Dose. Great. Well, Mary, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thanks for having me, Richard. You know, I guess, how do we come across? I guess I was kind of searching the, the, the interwebs, looking for other leadership junkies. To, in, I came across you and your company. At the, you're living out there in San Francisco. Marlowe's the name of the company, right? Did I get all that right? That is absolutely correct. Yeah. And as we started talking, I found out you're a Kansas native. You lived not too far from where I'm at right now. You even went or thought about going to the Marine Corps. And I was like, well, this is crazy. All these connections. But- and so 
I said, we've got to record a conversation. So I'm so glad you're here. Well, I'm glad to be here. And all of that's absolutely right. I am from Kansas, went to Kansas State University. So I'm a wildcat through and through and and then left. Yeah, we left. You're out there in San Francisco. Wichita State's playing K-State this week, o- OSU tonight and then K-State on Friday. So. Uh, so excited to have you. Like, I'm a big K-State fan myself. Got a lot of relatives that went to K-State. My mom graduated from K-State. So, yeah. So how did you get passionate about leadership? You know, I'm always interested how somebody kind of goes down the leadership rabbit hole. It's always interesting, you know, for myself as I, I picked up a leadership book back in college and said, wow, you know, I want to become the best leader I can possibly be, which led me to the Marine Corps. But how did it happen for you? Great question. Um you know, I, I nearly joined the Marine Corps right out of high school. And uh, a big part of what I saw there, I, I went through the kind of prep for basic, right, where they do these jogging trips together. And I was the only woman there. Um, and and in the end, ended up taking a different path, but um, ended up studying civil military relations and, and college, and then ended up going to the uh, Brookings Institution after college, where I worked on foreign policy. So so I've always been in, a, in and around kind of foreign policy and um, politics. And, and so leadership was just something that was ingrained in that culture, right? You, you're supposed to be the way that you want others to perceive you and kind of act, walk the talk, right? And um, fast forward to where we are today, a big kind of red thread through my career was always getting to be the person reporting to the most senior person in the organization. So at Brookings, I was reporting to the vice president and director of foreign policy. Before that, I was at the Washington Hospital Center reporting up to the president of this 5,000 employee hospital. Um, and so I've always been like, you know, that fly on the wall, getting to watch what others either thought was leadership or wasn't, right? It, <laughs> right kind right. of being a, seeing what not to do, but also learning a lot yeah, about what sure. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's funny because... Um, I guess that baptism with me with the Marine Corps, it was weird though. I didn't really become a, a junkie of it until I got away from it because I was in this kind of culture of leadership and I just kind of assumed that was the way things were, everybody kind of thought, right? And when you're in it, you see all the dysfunctions and how things are going to be better, as great as the organization was, you know. I found myself complaining about the organization, but I saw a lot of good, great leadership. And like you, saw a lot of bad leadership, things not to do. Probably learned more about the the, the things not to do. But when I got out, kind of like with you, I you know I found myself musicians, you know, in a family owned business, so I direct connections with the the top of the headshed. You know, went to another business, direct connections with the, the leader there. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying about that. What so was it a personal ambition thing or was it, was it more of a thing of like, wow, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed and I'm the person to fix it. Or you just like, I want to do whatever I can to be lead a significant life and make an impact wherever I go. Yeah. I think, you know, it really goes back to my roots and I think, you know, from Kansas, single mom, three sisters. And I was always told you can go be whatever you want to be, but you kind of have to figure it out for yourself. My sister married a farmer and the ongoing sort of conversation in our family and, and really the foundation of Marla was kind of have to be the own, your own farmer, right? The farmer has to go do all the things that need to get done, whether or not their day's going bad, whether or not somebody else broke the tractor, like it's their job ultimately to like get it done and fix the situation. And and so I carried that with me through a lot of what we were doing. And the the leadership part actually kind of came about by, ac- uh, sorry, by accident. And the reason was it really came around to influence. You, 
the, this idea that we don't have the influence to change our environment or change the outcomes ahead of us. Like, um, I think this is a complicated topic, but what sort of sparked the, the beginning of Marlowe was how can we help other people influence the outcomes that are around them, right? We have to own our own careers. And I believe that companies have a major role and we can get into that if you want, but we have to own our actions, what happens next, even when the people around us aren't necessarily as supportive as they could or should be. I love that a lot. And that resonates with me deeply because I, 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 I saw that too. And one of my big things that keeps me going with this, even doing the show and even working with organizations is, is it frustrates me. Sometimes it even saddens me. Sometimes I see how I, I do a broad sweep of an organization or look or I listen to people talking about their jobs or what are they're doing. And they talk as if they're powerless and People don't realize how much influence, the, the real influence in any organization, I'm a strong believer, really does happen from the middle and below. And and if people knew how much influence they had, right? And now it doesn't mean you got to have that support up front, right? And that's what I heard you just say is like, if, if people understood how much influence and how much potential rests at that middle and below and on those front, on the front lines, God, your, your organization can just be so much better than it is, right? You just break through the stagnation and mediocrity funk that you see in so many, so many aspects of life. I don't know. I said a lot there, but does that, does that resonate with Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's, it comes down to uh, the theme that I was seeing play out. This, you know, we started Marlo about five years ago. Um, and the theme that kept playing out over and over and over was people thinking that they, thinking that they were not performing well in their role. So the number of amazing high high performing team members within the organizations I've been in who thought they were not performing. And then I knew because of the positions I held that actually they were some of our star performers. And so where that gap happens of how did we get to a situation where we have high performers who don't know they're achieving or exceeding expectations? Um, you know, leaders can do a lot more there, but so can those individuals. And it, it, for me at the time, it came back to feedback you know, why aren't they asking for feedback? How do they have no idea where they stand in the organization? Like sure, their leaders could be saying, hey, you're doing an amazing job. And like, that would be great. They should totally do that. But as an individual, it's up to us to say, hey, here's where I wanna go. You know, in the next three years, I'd love to be leading this project or this role or whatnot. How, what do I need to do to get there? And, and what steps, how am I trending? toward that progress. And then coming back every few months to say, hey, here's what I've done. Like, how, how are you thinking about this? Does this seem right? Now, I know that this will not work perfectly for every situation. In some cases, you'll just have, you know, people around you that aren't very supportive, but, but that first basic step is not happening most of the time. And so for me, it was like, you know, how can you change the world from where you stand? right? Like, what is it that you can do to get on better with your coworkers, lose the attitude when we want to have an attitude? Cause like, I'm the first to be like, this isn't fair, but like how, like that's not productive. So how can we find those pieces? And so for me, it came down to, I cannot change every single person and you can't either. So how about we help every single person change themselves just a little bit and take actions that lead to better outcomes. And so that's, for me, that's leadership, right? You can be a leader Absolutely. and not have direct reports. It's all about like, what actions are you taking? to to make things better either for yourself or for other people yeah yeah to me it's about i love that it's about adding as i phrase it and i've when i've kind of coached people on this or even myself where i found what worked when i found myself in those because i've been in those organizations or those roles where kind of even you know the person above me just didn't get it we were oil and water 
and I fought it and it was easy for me to kind of bitch around the, the, the figurative water cooler about it, you know, and that was kind of cathartic and fun, but it it added no value. But when I started changing my mindset and going, well, how can I help that person who doesn't get it? The one above me, right? The leader, how do I, how do I, it's not my goal to become a drinking buddy of him or her. It's my goal is how do I help them become a better leader, right? And so I, I changed my mindset and I said, well, I'm going to start help augmenting them where they're weak. And that's when things started to change for me. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say. It's like when you're in the, no matter where you're at in the organization, if you just focus on adding value, right? Isn't that what you're saying? I mean, if we, if we can focus on adding value, that's where the real influence comes from. You don't need the position. You don't need the title. And if you do that on a consistent basis, no matter how small it may be in every transaction, then you're going to start to make an impact. That's how I see it. And that's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. And you know, this, this idea of augmenting the, the people around you where they're weak, it, it can, you know, something that happened regularly, um, even in the early days of Marlowe, but still sometimes, right. We have members come through who are talking about how maybe their boss doesn't like them and you dig into it and you realize actually most times your boss probably likes you just fine. They're busy. They're, they have other priorities. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, they're juggling their own workload and, and, whatever you're perceiving may or may not be reality, but the point is like, what can you do to augment them to help them do their jobs better? And so things like, you know, I turn in that report and they never even gave me feedback. Well, like, did they see it? Did they, did they forget that you turned it in? Did they, are they just too slammed? Did you ask for feedback? There's just all these different things that you can do to kind of help nudge the needle in the direction that, that works. And, um, you know, as, as senior leaders, we have a responsibility to support our managers and direct reports to develop those same skills. Right. And so that's where I think there's a lot of opportunity as well. Yeah. Two things that I'm hearing you say up to this point. I mean, obviously you got to take if particularly if you're, and that is kind of the most loneliest position to be in. I do get a lot of feedback and people asking questions on the show. It's like, well, I'm in the middle and where do I go? Right. I mean, so it is the worst leadership role to be in where you're kind of stuck in the middle and you've got, maybe you got a handful of reports below you. You've got a ton of peers that you've got to deal with on a database and then you've got to lead up to, you got to communicate up and it's, it's really challenging. And what I'm hearing you say is like, we got to take charge of our kind of our path, right? We can't sit around and wait for things. A couple of things I noticed too, when I, when I worked in the corporate arena and seeing the young, young folks coming in, especially the hard charges that I want. I mean, I want those people that I have to rein in as opposed to kicking the butt and get them going. But I'm curious about you too. And what you're seeing is, is kind of those expectations that they have when they come into an organization, right? Are there expectations that, Hey, I, you know, I'm going to be running this, you know, I'm going to like it if a guy or a gal comes in and says, I want to, you know, I want to be in the C-suite someday, but sometimes the expectations is, you know, well, okay, let's start in the mailroom and let's start mopping the floor and making sure that the mops are all clean, right? I mean, we got to kind of pay our dues, right? Are, do you, are you seeing kind of an expectation shift in, in the kind of workplace now over the last 15 years? Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. I think we've seen that shift in the past three years even. Um, and it's just going to become increasingly more difficult. It, it's a combination of, um, well, so I'm, I'm 35. My generation has been told that if you go to college, you'll come out and get a great job. Right. So like that, that was the expectation that was set for us. And, and then, you know, the, the people coming up behind us, you know, in their early twenties were told some version of that as well, but they're the ones kind of saying, Hey, like you told me <laughs> if I get educated, but you know what, they're also really hard workers. And so I think, um, 
most people are fine pushing paper, right? If they understand the value that it's adding to the organization and they see the clear path toward growth within the company. And so the challenge today is, you know, it's it's more expensive to have entry-level workers than it ever has been. They still require training and guidance and support. And so how do we attract and keep these great people um, when the talent market has is tough? And, and we're hearing this regularly. So I think we're, all of us have agency is around what can we do to communicate path to growth, right? And if you can just start there, not every person wants a huge pay increase. Like, sure, we all want more money, but they, they want to know if I'm going to put in my 40, 60 hours a week in this role, what am I going to learn that's going to actually help me in my career? And what, you know, what am I going to develop within the organization that will help me become even more valuable? And so a lot of it needs to be more spoken. There's all these unspoken rules of how we work in the workplace, right? The people who speak up and actually say, hey, what I'm looking for and my team members is people who will find ways to improve processes. So you see a process that's not working, I need you to you know, come up with ways to fix it. Um, here's how you can do that. You know, giving them those opportunities and permission to speak up and say, hey, I think we can do this better. There's this assumption that everybody knows that they're supposed to do that when really we've trained an entire generation of people to ask to wait for permission, not so much to ask for permission. So how do we encourage? And this is a lot of what we're working on, which is, did you ask? Did you speak up? Did you communicate? Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to. Or I've tried, but they shut me down. Great. How do we try in a way that's maybe received more effectively? You know, if you're asking your boss for something right after a stressful meeting from them, like maybe that's not the best time to ask and let's circle back to it. Or maybe you show up with a problem, but you didn't have a solution. Great. How do we improve that? So anyway, that I think a lot of it comes down to being much, much, much more explicit about what we expect from the professionals within our organization. Yeah, and I do think yeah. that, I think that is a role that is the primary role of the senior leadership. I know a lot of times, it, for me, it's all about creating a decentralized organization. And not that decentralized organizations are new, but for whatever reason, it still seems no matter how much we talk about, and you see this even in startups. I mean, I've coached a few startups where you, th you know, decentralization was the only time we got there in the first place was this, you know, and it, but as you scale and get bigger, it turns to kind of this hierarchical monolith that just, it goes into those kind of old, you know, Frederick Winslow Taylor ways of, you know, running a business. And, and that's why I think the Marine Corps was so valuable to me because it all, it's all about decentralization because the only way you can succeed and be that composed force in a chaotic situation, and it is chaotic, right, is to decentralize it and, and empower the people in the front lines. And so what I'm trying to do is piggyback on what you said is that it is the role of senior leaders, I think, primary role is to communicate explicitly like you said on where we're taking this organization and why and hey sally sue and frank over here here's where you fit in and this is this is how i see you this is where i see the future going you're my guy you're my gal for this this is the potential right and that takes a lot of effort and energy and i think a lot of times we just think senior leaders what I find anyway, it's, it's all about strategy. It's all about the numbers and everything else. And all that's important. But I think the to me, the senior leaders should be focused on creating organizations of a teacher-scholar teacher mentality relationship. And that's what's missing, I think, in businesses today. It's, it's too much of a boss-subordinate and boss-subordinate relationships. People don't ask, like you say. They don't speak up. They're afraid to ask. 
teach a scholar, you get a little more people raising their hands and asking questions, right? Anyway, that's um, no, but that's a skill that's tough to develop, right? It really and I think, is, yeah. And, and actually, so this idea of pushing decision making down to the lowest level in the organization is essential, right? This is how the, the future will work. Uh, creativity, improvisation, all of that is going to be. And so, and we're asking managers to lead in uncertain times, but then not giving them the training or the support or the skills they need to do that effectively. And so, I think there's a skill gap across the board. But um, you mentioned, you know, the centralization of decision making. Everybody wants to know where the the boundaries are, right? So if we don't, if we say, hey, you need to make decisions, but then we don't communicate what those might look like or how expectations fall or just even the values that we use to make those decisions, um, people are going to be afraid to make decisions with it, you know? And so there's this idea of like, you know, have them think outside of the box, but they still kind of need to know like what the scope and direction is. And I think that's what you were saying around 100%. If, if leaders aren't communicating that. Um, I think it's, I think it's also a question of, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. We forget we're humans. We forget that we learned this process over time as well. And so uh, as an example, um, I used to work for a company that was founded by Boston consulting group partners and it, amazing company, amazing team. But these guys had literally grown up in the consulting world where they were trained over and over again how to work with a brand new team, how to make your deliver feedback, how to receive feedback, how to make decisions quickly, et cetera. Right. Like that was their world. And then they went and started a startup. And within, you know, we hired 30 people. We were kind of growing the team quickly and we were about to do an offsite. And they said, you know what we could do with this offsite? We could like have everybody give each other feedback. And I just looked at them like, I'm sorry, huh? Like you want this whole group of people to just like share feedback about each other, like at a, at a team building exercise. It struck me as shocking because I knew that we had a team of people who may or may not have had training on, you know, how do you give productive feedback? What does feedback look like? When is the right time? How can you be specific in order to make it productive? Um, and, you know, part of it was the rest of the world didn't get trained the same way they did. Right. Um, and so how, and that was actually a big part of why we started Marlowe, which was like, how do you make all those lessons that these partners at BCG, you know, had, had learned and actually make that just like open information that other people can leverage to make their own world more productive and effective. And, and that's what we do every day. Yeah. Which I think is you're, you're, you're right on the money of going, uh, you're, that does highlight the gap that exists. And I'm just, as you're telling that story, I'm thinking about all those times, you know, because it's kind of like me, I, when I think back to my time in the corporate arena and how I'd come to this team with all this enthusiasm, creating this decentralized culture and they weren't prepared for it. They'd never been exposed to it. And so I had to spend a lot of blood time and treasure to try to get them to understand that, look, it's okay. I want you, it's not your right to challenge me. It's your obligation. You know, they heard that and they were like, what, you know, but that came from the aviation community, coming from the Marine Corps, and, and it just take, it took a bunch of time because you're right. You just can't say, hey, give me all the feedback. It's kind of like, have you ever been in a leadership role or have you ever been on the receiving end and the boss tells you, hey, it's an open door policy. You can come in and tell you know, everybody else says that, and then no one ever comes through their door, right, because they haven't shown them how to do that. They haven't shown them how to walk into that door. And to, and to respectfully and say, hey, sir, I think there's a better way to do this, right? I don't know. It, or worse, they even like, they said the door was open, but it really wasn't. Yeah, right? for sure. I, I worked with an amazing leader at the Washington Hospital Center. 
and he was uh, the vice president of operations. I'll get his title wrong, but it was basically, he, he also oversaid maintenance. And I know this, I remember this in particular because our maintenance teams and, you know, custodial staff, if they were having a rough day, like a really rough day, he said, you come see me. And, and these guys did, and women did, they would come through our administrative office. I was reporting to the the president of the hospital center. And this is my first job out of college. They would come to, to him and say, Hey, here's what's going on. And I would see them come in say, can I talk to him? I'd show them back. And then I, you know, they'd walk out shaking hands, like, let me know what I can do to help. And that is how you show that there's actually an open door policy, right? Because then that person talks to the other 10 people. And you know what, this is a unionized hospital for uh, nurses and for some of the other staff. But at the time, I don't know what it is today. At the time, they had repeatedly voted down unionization because they felt super, super supported by the leadership of the hospital. And like, I have to believe that it's because his open door policy was authentic and genuine and really helped them be a part of that culture. I'm not saying unions, like not- No, I, I got you. Unions. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> yeah. I know, I, I mean, yeah. I've, I've worked in both and I've seen the pluses and the minus. And when, it, when it's great, it's great. When it's not, it's not. And um, I get it though. I mean, I've, I've worked for leaders like that who, who walked the, the talk, right? And- and some who just gave that open door policy lip service, and uh, you know, I I I go at it with an empathetic heart because sometimes people want it, they just don't know how to do it. Both the senior leaders and both the people trying to walk in the door. I mean, I I I've long ago thrown away like, well, people are doing this for nebulous or nefarious reasons. <laughs> They're doing it because they just don't know, you know. And even when I I'm see dis- that. yeah, and even when I see dysfunctional leadership, you know, where someone like loses their cool or loses their temper, I've seen that a lot. I've come to realize there it's coming from a place of lack, you know, and fear. It's not coming from a place of of meanness and evil, right? Every now and then there's some, you know, ego maniac narcissistic, you know, tools out there that'll make it make life hell, but for the most part I think if you see I like to give people the benefit of the doubt on that. You know, so many things going through my head right now and I apologize for my ADHD mind as I go and I'll start senses and I'll not finish no, because going any other way. <laughs> yeah. But it reminds me, like I do think the role of what I, and I'm picturing what Marlo is, is doing and the, where the skill gap is, particularly for, for leadership, the senior leadership, mid, you know, mid-level leadership and above. It's like, it really is about defining the sandbox. That's the kind of the language that I learned. It's like the skill set is how do I define the sandbox and how do I communicate that effectively so that the people know how they can play in the sandbox freely and they know that when they get to the edge or they know that they need some more tools or, or they're, they're missing a couple toys that they need in the sandbox, right? That, that to me is the job of the leader and that highlights the skill gap I think you, you've been highlighting here. How do you build sandboxes? How do you communicate it effectively so people know what the boundaries of the sandbox are and what do they do when they reach some of those boundaries or, or lack of resources? That to me is is where the gap exists from what I've seen over the past 20 years. Absolutely. And I think it's this idea of, um, sorry, I'm also all over the map. Here we go. The, the idea that expectations are clear is something that comes up a lot. People think that their boss or their direct reports, you know, whoever the situation entails in general, it's easy to think that of course, everybody knows what I'm thinking and feeling. (laughs) right? They should just know that that's an inappropriate thing to do, or they should just know that this is how it should be. I can give a million examples of how quickly miscommunication happens, 
right? There's so much noise when somebody tells you to do something or tells what they're, you know, wanting to be done, what outcomes they're looking to have. The communication that happens is rooted in their own assumptions, their own expectations that they may or may not have communicated. And then the noise that happens before we receive that information. And so I, 90% of the problems that, that most of us are facing in the workplace are around communication, right? And so if you can, as a leader, whether you're leading from you know yourself or your, your teams, if you can communicate expectations, that's like 80% of the job. And I mean, spending real time. You said, send me a draft. What does that draft look like? What what version of a draft? Because I might want like a 99% finished draft, whereas you expect like an outline. Like where is that communication? And when you say end of day Thursday, do you mean like 2 p.m. or 6 p.m.? Like before before Friday? Like all of these little details seem really obnoxious when you're asking them, but they just make things go significantly better. And then the bigger the organization, the more of a ripple effect poor expectations have. Right. So I love that you said that. In fact, am I got a current client here? And if he's listening. Cooper, I'm calling out your name right now because I know you listen to these show and these episodes. What she just said is exactly what I've been trying to teach them and their organization, this group over the past six months. Like expectations are your friends. Like, we, you know, you can't, everyone's like, well, I don't do this. Or that. It's because you haven't set the expectation. You haven't been explicit in the expectations. And that's how they can be such a great, it's almost like the, to me, it's like the bill of rights, right? If I can get good at communicating my expectations, like you said, it's 80% of the battle. I 100% agree because if I spend and I get really good at that, like this is what this is what I want you to do. This is why I want you to do it. And this is how it impacts where we're going. That's part of, to me, setting expectations. Like, you know, not only saying, yeah, I want you to do this on this by this date, but here's why I want you to do it. And here's how it impacts the overall vision. Totally. That's hard to do on a consistent basis, but that to me is the, is the is the key. And if you can do that, my God, you know, now when people don't live up to the expectations, it's easy. It's easy to have the difficult conversation. It's really not that difficult. Hey, this is what we said, our Bill of Rights, right? How does this fit into what we agreed to, right? To me, and and then it goes both directions. So if you think that you're just not in the habit of setting clear expectations right now, that you're busy, you just need people to get it. There's also the option, let's train the people around us to clarify expectations. What happens when all of your direct reports, you say, you know, like you said, understanding the impact is really important. It's a huge, huge part of the process. But if they understand and they're helping set those expectations, they, if it's their project, their assignment, their, you know, their team's direction, they can actually ask the right questions. And so giving them the, the support to speak up and say, okay, I've got about 10 questions for you to make sure that we're on the same page. And then having you know, a write-up after the fact, like send over the documentation of this is what we agreed on. These are the deadlines. Um, I think it, it's a, a practice that's not used as much as it should be, which is like at, you, you left a meeting. We have a rule that no meeting should like not <laughs> double negatives here. Every meeting should have a follow-up, right? And so if you haven't shot over a message and you know, your chat message or email, with details of what you agreed on, then it didn't happen. Because what happens nine times out of 10 is, hey, I heard this and here are the notes I took. Is that what you heard as well? Ooh, yeah, I, some of that works, but actually this piece is completely different than what I was expecting. Or actually I probably should elaborate on that piece. And so now you have an opportunity to like really get into the nitty gritty. We can't expect every individual to do this on their own. It has to be a team effort. And so expectations of it, I mean, this is my passion project. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. It's 100%. It's 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 what I've been 
I'm always preaching that with, you know, when I don't know what to do next. Well, just get your set of expectations, get, get some clarity and alignment about what you want to have accomplished and when, and that's a key point. I think it's a, it's, that is a leadership move, by the way, when, when things are kind of going to hell and they are, right. It's, it's, it's being the composed force in a chaotic situation. When it's chaotic, it's easy to react to all these things going around you. You got to take that pause and go, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are we trying to do here? And the moment you do that, that's the leadership move. And you've automatically got yourself into a creative space instead of a reactionary space. And then you can say, once you, we, okay, this, oh yeah, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Then you can go to expectations. My expectation is that we do this. My expectation is this. And then, and then you just rinse, cycle, and repeat, right? To me, that's, that's leadership 101 to me. That's, that's how I see it. Yeah, I love it. I think you and I should write a book about that. Rinse, what is it? Lather, lather, rinse, repeat, right? You know, I think it'll put me out of a business, but I think really most of the best practices for being a strong professional or a strong leader are not that complicated. The the ideas are not complicated. It's the practice and the habit. And that's where, you know, coaching and one-to-one management development, which is where we focus, um, that is what makes a difference because we all have these ideas. You, you can watch a million you know, YouTube videos or Coursera videos or LinkedIn learning. You can read a ton of books. You can listen to great podcasts, right? But how you apply that in your unique situation is where it gets really tough. And, you know, having somebody, whether that's a friend or a coworker, somebody to just like bounce the situation off of and, and go back to what you said before is like, what am I trying to accomplish here? Because so you, you talked earlier about, um, you know, the story, it's kind of the stories we tell ourselves of what might be happening. And you've long since, you know, assumed positive intent of the the people around you, even if they might be malicious, what's the point in even assuming they're malicious because what, what can we do about it? Right. And so how do we then help get out of these like unproductive spaces? Well, having that discussion with somebody else and saying, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Here's the, like obstacles coming at me. How am I supposed to get through that productively, like without getting derailed? And I just, I'm shocked by the number of companies that are not supporting any level of leadership when it comes to making these decisions. Like the, the role of the manager, which is, you know, again, that's where we focus, that has changed dramatically in the past 18 months. And, you know, the managers are no longer just translating vision and goals. They're, they're partners, they're coaches, they're motivators, they're, you know, they're drill sergeants, right? It's, it's really coming down to like, how do we drive change from our teams and we're just there's so much more that we can do to help guide them yeah i feel like we're just barely scratching the surface and i I unfortunately have to go take my help my wife take two of the pets to get their shots of all things oh no (laughs) but i would love to do a part two of this conversation if you're if you're up and willing to do that i mean so much that we talked about here just resonates deeply with me would you be up for that yeah absolutely how can, I think for me, the key takeaways for today is like, I heard you say, was you don't do enough as senior leaders to support the managers, the teams that we have, right? And I think that's part of what Marlo is trying to do, right? You're trying to, to, to fill that gap. So how do people reach out to you, find out more about you and, and who are you looking for? What's the ideal client? Yeah. So Marlo works with corporations to support their managers in terms of developing the habits and skills they need to drive better results. So we're, we're helping managers become more confident and capable through one-on-one coaching. Um, we also have a library of curriculum and resources. And the idea is that if you have, um, you know, you know that you need to develop certain skills 
there's no use in you know digging deep into a huge resource if really you need to focus on the one skill that matters today. And we're able to deliver that one-to-one -one interaction to make the whole process much more efficient. But the magic is that we're doing it at a price point that can be scaled throughout your organization. And happy to dig into that another time on how we make that possible. But um, every member gets a dedicated coach who, who actually helps them at an affordable rate. Our clients are mid-market. So if you're, you know, you have more than a handful of managers, but you can also sign up directly on our website. So if you're just looking for a coach yourself, Marlo offers that. Um, we take a unique approach compared to other, other coaching companies. Uh, we pair you directly with the coach. There's no selection process um, because we don't believe that the average person would know what to look for in a coach anyway. It's, it's not a relationship game. It's, it's more about getting results. Um, and so check out our website, getmarlo.com. And, and you can learn more there. I love it. I think you guys are you're definitely hitting a spot uh, that no one really seems to be hitting, and I really appreciate that. That's how I found you guys, and and as a, for a leadership junkie, I think you're doing some great stuff, and I look forward to staying in touch and having another conversation here because I really enjoy talking with you about this stuff. It's really fun and value packed. I, I'm really glad to be here. I love your podcast, so thanks so much for for inviting me on the show. All right, thanks for coming on. Mary. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concepts of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.